Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Moul Syed, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. This is one of those fascinating episodes that I've honestly been looking forward to for a while because it combines everything that I like and that we like about the NFT space, technology, art, and community. Today, we're talking about generative art. Although generative art existed way before blockchain technology, last year has seen NFTs enable groundbreaking artists and their innovative expressions to gain access to whole new audience groups and monetization mechanics. And that was beyond the conventional boundaries of the art world. It's kind of a symbiotic experience between artists, code, and collectors. And one cannot talk about generative art without mentioning Artblocks. Artblocks is leading a new generation of art through its platform. The project created by Eric Calderon, aka Snowfro, in early 2021, has generated hundreds of millions of dollars and gave birth to collections that you probably already know, such as Squiggles, Fidenzas, or Ringers, who've already marked crypto culture and expanded its boundaries. Today we have the man himself on the show, Snowfro, founder of Artblocks and creator of the Squiggles. He'll be joined by Ledger's chief experience officer, whom you already know, and who's also a big generative art aficionado and collector, Ian Rogers. Together, they'll explore the history, present, and future of Artblocks and the generative art space. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy the conversation. Honestly, it's it's really an honor not only to have you on our show, but just to be able to have a conversation with you generally. And and I, I was going to open in a in maybe what seems like a a strange way, but I I promise it it has a a landing point. I remember this transition for myself, um, you know, from kind of stadium rock to punk rock, right? Like I I you know my first concerts were things like Kiss and ACDC. And then I remember, you know, going to Chicago with a friend when I was 15 years old and, and, you know, Henry Rollins, who was at the time kind of like the guy from Black Flag was the, the quote unquote headliner at a, at a small bar in Chicago. And during the opening bands, Henry Rollins is like standing next to us in the crowd. And that to me was this like transition from like stadium rock to, to punk rock, realizing that we were all like part of the same community and, and it wasn't about, you know, kind of people up there on pedestals and, you know, but it was, it was actually a community and there's something about, um, you know, the world of NFTs and in particular generative art that feels that brings back those same feelings for me, like being able to have a conversation with you, um, and, you know, sitting next to MP cause when we minted at bright moments in Berlin, um, having a conversation about skateboarding with Tyler Hobbs, you know, collecting artists on Tezos and then having conversations with them on Twitter immediately after, you know, this, this, it feels, um, it feels like punk rock to me. So, uh, you know, anyway, th- thank you for being with us. That's awesome, man. And for being yeah. accessible. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super, I'm super humbled to be a part of this too. So thank no, you. No, thanks. Thanks for, you know, thanks for being, you know, who you are in this movement. So let's get to that. You know, I, I think Mo does a great job with his podcast and always um, really keeps it basic for the for the audience. So just as a starting point, you know, what is generative art? Generative art um, actually has roots in what I'd consider uh, algorithmic art. Algorithmic art is the idea that you use code to create a visual or an audio output. Um, you use code to create. And when you use code to create, you're very deliberate about what I mean, you have to give the computer instructions, and if you give the computer a certain set of instructions, it's going to produce a certain thing. And your success, and I'm not talking about aesthetically, is is based on whether the computer does what you intend it to do originally. Um, Generative art is taking that into consideration, but then also taking into consideration that there's a lot of things that by just changing slight things like little variables in the algorithm, you can have dramatically different results. And so giving the computer or giving random a little bit of say in what that final output is. So if you take an algorithm that just, you know, every time you run it, it spits out a blue screen, um, that's great. If you maybe don't care what the black, what the, what the background is, uh, and you set that algorithm to randomly pick the color of the screen, so if I press refresh, it's going to be red. And then if I press refresh again, it'll be green and then red again. That is at the very basic level what generative art is, is the idea that you add variability 
to a set of code instructions uh, for the for producing visual outputs. I think it's great to set up with that because I think that um, you know when we think about I think that you know sort of digital art is a big hurdle for people um, you know that that haven't been in the space, and then generative art um, is is sort of one step further. They have to understand um, you know kind of what is the craft. In other words, and this is something that I find, you know, I, I just spent five years in, in the luxury world where, you know, the, a craft is, is, you know, maybe making wine, maybe making a leather handbag. And what I'm always pointing out to, you know, my friends in that world is that, that there's, it's actually, you know, the same, you know, it's, it's just as absurd to, you know, kill a cow, color its skin, cut it into shapes and sew it together into um, a leather bag that you sell at the Dior store. Um, you know, but it is also, you know, it is a craft that's been, that's been honed, um, you know, in, in some cases, you know, for, for tens or, or even hundreds of years. You know, what, what in your mind is the craft of, of generative art? Well, I mean, there's a couple of different things. So number one, math, understanding math and exercising math, right? It's one thing, I mean, I just, I remember growing up and there were certain math classes where I'd be like, I'm never going to use this shit, you know, and things like geometry. I hated. I was so good at algebra. I was so good at like trig and all that. But geometry, I was just terrible at it. And now as I try to develop, you know, my work as an artist, which I rarely have time to do, I find myself more and more wishing that I understood geometry. So understanding like math is actually pretty critical. And, and that is that is a. Uh, you know, a skill that little by little you craft, especially in the generative space, because, uh, you know, it's not as intuitive as you might think to generate shapes onto a screen, especially organic shapes and um, really crafting the ability for you to be able to create visually compelling geometric or mathematical shapes on screen using instructions with code, I think is something that takes a lot of effort refining and guess and check because it feels very, uh, it's very deliberate when you just wanna draw a circle to the screen. And that's something that we all start with, right? Like that might be the first thing that we do is we might just like make sure that the screen creates a circle and that's easy. But then once you start making something a little bit more high tech, um, you, you really have to uh, work towards that. Then, you have to add composition on top of that and uh, character and um, some you know interest to the piece. And so crafting composition is very similar to just how an artist has to craft composition when they compose a painting or they compose a, a, a photograph. Understanding composition is something that comes with experience generally. Some people are just gifted with understanding composition. Um, and then, uh, I think something that's really special in the generative art piece is then the interactivity layer, which is not a requirement, or the animation or the interactivity, that's not actually a requirement, but being able to craft how all of those things come together into a visually compelling output is, is something that just takes, I, in my opinion, years to, to put together. And uh, once you do that, the results are pretty clear that you know, there's there's a lot of people in this world that will say that digital art doesn't have any soul to it. Well, it 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 is harder to communicate soul from a digital artwork, especially to the contemporary art world. If you are able to generate soul out of something digital, in my opinion, you're you are demonstrating a, like an execution of those skills to the fullest potential. And we've seen, I feel very proud to have hosted a lot of artwork on art blocks and seen a lot of artwork in this generative art space that truly effectively communicates soul and is a reflection of like the pure craftsmanship of what people are putting into this work. I love this conversation. I, I, I actually would, would love to go a little further on this. I feel like we should give the audience a, a bit more background on you and, and art blocks, but I, I, wanna, I wanna just continue on this um, as a starting point because I think for someone to, to jump in, um, maybe their first question is, what is this and why should I care? And, you know, wh when I hear you talk about this, I am, I, I, I'm super curious to know how you evaluate, you know, the art that you, you know, the generative art that, that you see. Um, and, you know, you're, you're, you're telling us a bit about that. But also the thing that I, that I really see here is that, um, you know, this is a, this is a, this a is a craft, no question, as, as you're um, kind of 
laying out what the elements are and and what it takes to be good at this craft um and that it does also take you know probably a a lifetime of prerequisites right whether that's you know math and um and coding um but also just kind of the sensitivities and trial and error and experimentation and and you know exactly what what artists do when they're when they're creating art but also it's something that that you know the appreciation of will change over time and this is actually a, a thing that really caused me to get conviction about um about generative art is because I was spending enough time in it personally to begin to appreciate it. And I say begin to appreciate it in the way that you're describing. And then I was also experiencing people who just couldn't even understand how something digital could be craft. And that, that was like a big light bulb for me because I went, ah, that's a barrier that future generations won't have. <laughs> you know, it will be obvious that, that this is art and this is craft and therefore you know, the kind of seminal artists in this space who have created this space um, will actually, you know, become more and more appreciated because more and more people will simply under, understand the medium, right? Um, so, you know, let, let's do just a, a little bit of history. Like, you know, people think that generative art started with NFTs, but, but that's not true. So wh where did this begin? I think the first examples of algorithmic art were actually just scientists demonstrating some really beautiful patterns in nature. Um, you have people like uh, Herbert Frank, uh, Franke uh, in, in Germany um, early on working with, um, with light and uh, then later on Vera Molnar and Manfred Moore with plotters and uh, actually starting to take it a little bit more towards writing algorithms for the, for the purpose of creating a visual output. This is all, you know, late 60s, early 1970s. In the, in the 1970s, actually, there was a lot of uh, incredible um, work being created by computers just as people started having access to the computer. And you have to understand that access to a computer in the 1970s is very, very, very different. Like, almost like un ununderstandably different than what it is today. Like you almost can't even imagine what it is to like sign up to walk into a big, cold, sterile room that you are sitting there for like a few hours in the, you know, um, presence of this huge machine that's making noise that you don't even get to like get direct feedback from immediately. Right. So like, you know, there, uh, I had this really nice opportunity to interview uh, Vera Molnar uh, by text uh, earlier this month. And, you know, I asked her what it was like and she's like, you know, you didn't even, you didn't even know if what you fed the computer because you were using punch cards was going to be right immediately. It wasn't until the introduction of the screen that gave you immediate feedback and some of these artists were creating art before there was even a screen to look at what they were typing. And so it's just, it's just insane to know that even when we didn't have the facility that we have now, there was this desire to create visual back then mainly just visual i don't know i don't know of any like audio examples in the time although I, I may just not be educated enough but you know visual desire to make visual outputs using this dinosaur of a machine there was something really interesting there for the human to interact with this robot and create something and you know um, there's a huge distinction between generative art and ai art where like the machine actually has some creative uh, space whereas with generative art it's very deliberate and intentional you may be surprised with what the computer creates for you because you may not be able to fully process all of the different variables that are happening at the same time but it's very deliberate you can follow a set of instructions and end up exactly where you're going to end up versus ai where it feels very much like a surprise even to the people that are programming these models and do you have, um, do you have a preference eric like do you, are, are you is, is is ai art as interesting to you as as algorithmic art? I am fascinated with AI art. I don't understand it. And um, I mean, I, I mean, I understand it, but I, I, I don't, I haven't had the, in, in the last year and a half, what I'm seeing come out from AI algorithms is completely mind boggling. And I haven't had the luxury of the time to like, the way I operate is I like to just dive in and I go in deep and I wanna know and I wanna understand. And all I'm seeing is scrolling on Twitter seeing these incredible images. So I don't actually understand like the mechanics exactly of what's going on, but I'm fascinated by it and I love it. I, I am a huge fan of generative art. I am a bit of a control freak. Um, I, I would be willing, I don't want to generalize, but I would be willing to say that a lot of 
generative artists or algorithmic artists can be a little bit of a control freak. I mean, I think that's the whole thing is you're wrangling this thing to do what you want it to do. Um, and, you know, why? Because if I wanted to just do that one thing one time, maybe I could actually do it with a pen and paper or I could do it on Photoshop. But the beauty of generative art is that you can create art for a number of people at one time with one single algorithm and then have that computer using variability spread all of that out amongst a larger audience, a larger group of people. So, you know, um, anyways, I'm... I, no, I, I think it's interesting it. because I think yeah. that also, you know, it's important maybe for the, the audience to understand that there is a bright line um, of sorts between, uh, you know, algorithmic or generative art and, and AI art. And there, you know, and, and it's also, if anything, it just shows that, that there's a lot, a lot to explore and we're, and we're just, yeah. and, we're and they're still very at, different. I mean, they're mm -hmm. night and day. It's, they're both digital mediums. They're both require an incredible amount of creativity, you know. Uh, right now you have one person that creates an AI, well, one team, let's say that creates an AI algorithm. And now you have like this poetic nature of creating the prompts that generate the AI outputs. And like that has becoming a skill that people are honing in and of itself. It's really beautiful to watch it. So just from the surface, watching it on Twitter, because that's literally the only place that I get to keep up with this. It's really fun to watch. And I fully intend on being able to support um, AI type artwork, not necessarily an art box proper as we want to fully celebrate this concept of generative um, instruction based art, but using our infrastructure and what we've built, you know, from the very beginning, we've been wanting to make sure that we'll eventually be flexible enough to be able to host um, AI outputs as, you know, generative or as, uh, as, as NFTs in the future. And I'm I'm really gonna have a hard time keeping us uh, keeping us the time here because there's so much I I, I want to ask you. <laughs> I, but I, I'm curious I, again, just on the on the basics. You know what what did you know the world of digital scarcity and NFTs add to to this world, right? We've you know as as we're pointing out, you know generative art and NFTs are 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 not not the same thing, right? You can do you can do generative art or algorithmic art or even AI art without the concept of, you know, digital without Satoshi's white paper and the concept of digital scarcity and NFTs. So what, in your view, does this concept of digital scarcities add to this equation? With, with algorithmic art, generally with generative art, you know, the, the artists would code in their studio or in their home and they would produce outputs. They would very much curate, hand select the things that they wanted to present. Generative art existed on super rare and known origin for the, it, since the beginning of the NFT world, it just might not even have been tagged as generative art. It was, it is just art. It is an artist that creates a composition on the screen that they believe has artistic value enough for someone to be interested in acquiring it as something that they want to see in their home or on their phone, depending on how we display our art, which is you know a whole other conversation for a whole other day. Um, the the concept of scarcity was essentially creating a cap for what's seemingly a limitless number of outputs that an algorithm can produce. There are, if, if I'm not mistaken, trillions of possible chromy squiggles in this world, but to make it a palpable, human, understandable edition of art, it has been capped to 10,000. The, the Fidenza algorithm, the Ringer's algorithm, all, all of the pieces on Artblocks could probably produce billions, trillions, if not more potential outputs. But capping it is what creates the, the, the addition, the body of work. The, this is Fidenza, and it is these 999 outputs. This is it. This is the artist being forced to craft their algorithm way more like intensely than when they are at home getting to curate and select their work. It is the artist basically being willing to give up control to get their algorithm to the point that it needs to get to, to where they are willing to give up control of the next 999 outputs. And those 999 outputs are forever stored and, you know, 
maintained as the final body of work of that algorithm. And that is where digital scarcity has played such a huge part in what's happening with um, generative art. Generative art has existed forever. In fact, there was a, a wonderful generation of artists even in the last 10 years. A lot of the artists that have found significant success on art blocks today have been crafting generative algorithms for a, a decade or even more. In fact, um, that's how, I mean, that's a huge inspiration for a lot of the art that I had created in the past was, you know, people that were creating generative stuff. Um, and that was something that caused me this, this like desire to build art blocks was that I would see these artists post on Twitter, Reddit, or Instagram, these like ephemeral images, knowing that tomorrow there would be another one and knowing that there was no other than Instagram conservation of like this beautiful piece of work that they made the day before. And, you know, this desire to kind of eternalize individual outputs in a way that really wasn't possible before the advent of NFTs. I mean, yeah, they could store them on their hard drive and make sure that as their computers got old, they took out the hard drive or backed it up to a thumb drive, or maybe you have a, a I mean, I have a drawer full of like seven old hard drives with pictures from when I started college to now with documents and maybe even like software that I do downloaded. Uh, you know, um, that's not like a, that's not a way to share art, to experience art, to think about like art being forgotten like that, I think is really crushing. And then, you know, the idea that now we have this technical way of preserving it, uh, and then also creating a, a, a limitation in the in the total edition size, and and by doing so, forcing the artist to really grind that algorithm to to produce what they want. I think is just it, this is what we're experiencing. This is a new way of of creating digital art. Um, algorithmic art has existed forever. Generative art has existed forever. But under these very strict circumstances and guidelines. This is a new way of doing it that has, I think, forced artists to really elevate what they're doing. Um, uh, and I think the results have been really beautiful. I, I, I really love that description. And, and you're touching on something that I think, you know, very few appreciate. I, I feel like I have an appreciation for what you just said, partly because, you know, I, I went on tour with the Beastie Boys in 1995 and took a ton of digital photos um with a, an apple i think it was called a quick take camera i think it basically shot 64480 i think it was the first time that anyone had like walked out on stage and you know taken a photo and then immediately walked backstage and connected a modem to the internet and, and put images on a website at the same time i've lost every single one of those images somewhere along the way um and i think that, that we people don't quite yet grasp the fact that the blockchains will outlive us and so when you said eternalize, um, you know, even for me now, I'm starting to take just the photos that I that I take and, um, you know, mint them and send put drop them in my daughter's wallets, because I simply know that's better than my iCloud account or my Flickr account. You know, I mean, I think we kind of learned our lesson in, in a way that, that the Internet gives us distribution, but it, it doesn't give us anything eternal. It is actually, you know, absolutely ephemeral. And that's why we have things like the Wayback Machine to try to remember you know, projects that we built in the nineties and, and, and you're, you're right. You're, and I, so I like both vectors that you're touching on there. One of which is, you know, kind of, um, forcing the hand or, or changing, limiting the output of an unlimited, um, you know, generative source, you know, for, forcing the addition model in a, in a way, um, which I think has really interesting parallels, you know, to the art world. When somebody ever asks me, you know, um, how do I know, you know, how, how can I say that, that, you know, there is digital scarcity or that, um, that, that that scarce digital object has any value, I say, well, how can you say that that, you know, artificially limited Warhol print, um, you know, has any value? It is, it, is, it, is a, it is an artificially, it is artificial scarcity in exactly the same way, in fact. Um, you know, and, and so, yes, by, by sort of doing that, you, you create you know, not only value, but community in a way as well. So, it's, and, but also there is that notion that, that you're putting it somewhere that you can bet that it will be um, tomorrow. Now we can, we can talk about IPFS and those types of things, but, but, you know, there, the blockchain itself will certainly outlive us. And, and I think that's an important concept that people don't think hard enough about, but let me ask you this then in that context, you know, why art blocks, what did art blocks add to this that was missing for you before you created it? Well, art blocks was originally just something for me to use as a tool for um, like 
making art in a way that I couldn't make it before. So, you know, my wife and I always talk about there's things in so many things in our lives that just don't exist that we need to create them ourselves. And this is just something that I thought would be a really cool way for me to create my art. Um, and then partway through the process, I had children and I realized I don't have time to create art and then decided that it would actually be really fun to create this for, because it was interesting to me that I thought that other artists would be interesting and interested in the premise of putting your art on chain and being able to like, you know, watch the birth of the art be minted by your collectors on demand. Um, it was actually a four year process where I would approach artists and either I'd get no response or the response would be like, dude, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, trying to explain to someone, trying to find the Venn diagram of like a generative artist, which were pretty rare in the whole scheme of things. And someone that understood blockchain in 2017 and 2018, it was like two people. And even they were overwhelmed with kind of like the complexity of what an art block smart contract was and like what it meant to interact with it. So, you know, um, I think that there is a lot of chance that goes into success and I feel very lucky about like when Artblocks was deployed you know like a lot of things you know we you know people want to say oh man you really nailed the timing on that well no it was a total accident like it wasn't really intentional to like land or deploy Artblocks in fact I often joke about the fact that Top Shot I, I went there was this project called Top Shot by Dapper Labs that I got so involved with that it actually delayed the launch of our box by six months because I was just literally trading one dollar moments with hundreds of people to build collections for a while but um when Artblox was launched, it just happened to be at this time when people were starting to come back around and realize the beautiful implications of what you know even the slow times of 2018 2019 uh, had meant within the nft space what the implications of people setting crypto punks is there PFPs were what the implications of secondary market royalties were. Um, along alongside that, there was a lot of debate about what IPFS was and what immutability was. You know, um, uh, autoglyphs were the first to really just put everything on chain, and uh, I think found incredible amount of success with this concept of minting on de on demand. Avastars followed after that with like a really brilliant concept of putting art on chain, and I think that by the time Artblocks was there to launch, it more people understood what an NFT was. I didn't have to, you know, I used to to try to pitch art blocks to an artist. I had to start with like mining and like what a decentralized ledger was. Like I really had to begin from the very beginning. Now we're, you know, I got to skip all that and be like, well, yeah, NFTs. And yeah, it still required a little bit of education, but there was ways for them to learn about it. And so the, 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 the conversation became a lot easier. So all of these things kind of came together, also very low gas. Um, also many, many years in the space supporting newcomers and supporting people in this space right and that's something that people take for granted people are always asking like how do i get in on this and my initial response to anybody that says the words how do i get in on this is like i don't like i i, I don't react well to people literally saying those words but it happens more often than you think but you know it's just just immersion and and being there for people and helping people and like understanding where people are coming from and putting yourself in people's shoes um, has a lot to do with like the early success of our blocks too. There was not very many people in this community. And during that three year time between 2017 and 2020, their art blocks launch, I feel like I got to know a significant majority of the people that were participating in this space. And um, as a result, those people at least were willing to lend an ear to what I was building. And that coupled with, you know, artists starting to kind of like, be like, oh, there's something here. And um, some brilliant works that came out of our blocks in the first few months. Uh, really are what put our blocks um, uh, on on the map on the radar for nfts in general yeah and i think it's clear that that exactly who you are and and the time that you spent and and the work that you did is a big part of that i mean I, it makes me think of um hearing chris haka say um i'm lucky but it's not an accident um and i think that uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that applies to you i think it i think it applies to me and i'll, I'll tell mo it applies to him as well right you know we're Yes, we've been in the right place at the right time, but we also, you know, put in the right work and and you know with a with a high level of integrity and you know and and, and et cetera. And I'm I'm curious, you know, for 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 you personally, Eric, I mean, a question I I'm I'm genuinely curious about is, like, you know, you strike me as as quite an idealistic person, um, but also you know incredibly open. You'd be, like you mentioned, you know, being a part of these communities. I know you're a big part of the of the CryptoPunks community, and that's a lot of what you know in, in those 
um, early learnings and sort of feeling the space, which I think is is what you're describing, what you did. But uh, but I'm curious, where where does where does your idealism come from? Do you think in in your um, in your in your upbringing and and you know what what would you describe as your as your idealistic orientation toward the space and specifically art blocks? Um, I mean, I, I, have, I have no idea if there's any particular source of idealism other than I've, I was very, very privileged to get to travel a lot as a kid and get to know a lot of cultures and, and, and understand the differences between a lot of humans. Um, there is just so many uh, nuances there that different cultures thrive and also um, struggle with that as you get to know more and more people all over the world. And then, uh, you know, then later I started this business in the ceramic tile world where I had to interact with people from all over the world, but then also had to interact with people here in Houston and, you know, make sure that I could understand and empathize with what, you know, why designers and architects needed what they needed and what it took to make them, you know, satisfied, not just with the product, but also with the experience. And, you know, all of those things kind of gave me a lot of conviction in number one, I, I think I understand people. I, I really think that I can put myself in people's shoes and understand why people act the way they act. Um, and, uh, and I think that that conviction led towards, you know, kind of this, this, this sense of idealism. Got it. And, and what, like what, when you're describing, um, you know, art blocks to, uh, to, to an artist, you know, who you would like to, to have join. And I know that that's a, you know, there it's, it's well known enough at this point that that's a, a different conversation than it used to be, but I'm curious you know, what are the, the differentiators that, that you talk about, the ones that are important to you? Sort of, again, you know, there was why art blocks at the beginning and then why art blocks today? What, it, what, is, what differentiates art blocks, um, you know, from the rest of the world and how important are, you know, curation and governance in that? Well, I think a really wonderful example is we had an event in New York a couple of weeks ago where artwork was shown on a three-story screen. And... Um, there, there has been there. We've been so strict at Artblocks with you know the concept of dependencies, what's allowed on the platform, and then more importantly, I think the the fact that we require artists to make stuff that's resolution agnostic, and oftentimes that felt like a very forward thinking thing, like oh yeah, in twenty years we're gonna have. 64k screens and we really need the res the art to be like full resolution at those screens and I, I i'll be honest like i did not foresee a lot of like this intense requirement of resolution agnosticism actually coming into play so soon well all of a sudden you know we're at samsung and there's these three-story screens and all of a sudden you look back and you're standing this close to the screen and you're looking at an artwork from artbox with like no upsampling um, at full resolution at that scale and realize, okay, like this is part of that permanence conversation that we're having earlier, right? Like it's one thing to have permanence um, as, a, as a JPEG or as a, or as a animated you know, GIF, but it's another thing to have permanence and be able to view and experience that in its full glory whenever the time comes. And you know, again, I thought it would be far into the future and really it just happened a couple of weeks ago where like that resolution agnosticism, I believe is what, caused people to have such incredible reactions to viewing the outputs on that screen. I mean, I was on a panel in front of the screen and I literally couldn't stop turning around and looking at art that I have now seen not hundreds of times, but thousands of times. Like I have seen every work on art blogs at this point, like thousands of times. And somehow I was still just completely blown away by the experience of having it be, you know, bigger than life behind me. And so that's one thing that I think really kind of stands out and something that um, is maybe just a, 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 a indication of just how important having like a very solid and strong foundation and vision for what your product is. And then also working with just an incredible group of people that share that ambition and that foundation with you because, you know, um, I really, art blocks would not be here today if it wasn't for the incredible people that I get to work with every day on the team. Like it would not be here today if it wasn't for the artists and it wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the, for the collectors. And, um, you know, you have these three parties that are all, you know, they all have their like needs and their goals, but like ultimately this end goal is to create this like permanent immutable art for the ages and to represent the best artists and to represent the best art. And I think that the conviction for example, with resolution agnosticism is just one example of like 
not wavering, sticking to that plan, and it really kind of paying off. Um, and then another one just kind of is this, you know, idea that art for the sake of art itself does actually have a home in crypto uh, and does actually have a home in the NFT space. And, you know, speculation completely overran art blocks. And a lot of times people will be like, hey, congratulations, like in September, October of last year, like you're killing it. I'm like, no, this is not good for art blocks. This is not good from a psychological perspective. Like I want this, I don't want this. That's not healthy. That's not like, nobody Nobody thought this was just gonna keep going up forever. Like it was just completely unreasonable to believe that. And um, once again, just kind of like being able to stick with that conviction that it's really just about the art. It's really like, hey, if you buy something, it's because you really want it on your wall. Uh, you want to, maybe you don't even want it on your wall. You want to participate in that community. You want to participate in that conversation. You want to like pick the artist's brain as to why they came up with this color scheme. And you you have more of a presence in that conversation if you own one of these pieces of art. Um, and, and, you know, that has really shown during this kind of like intense downturn of the market where, yeah, everything is down. But, you know, the, the art that we've generated on the platform and the artists that we've cultivated uh, or the relationships that we've cultivated between the artists and the community have really helped maintain um, a level of interactivity and a level of like passion and excitement about what we're doing, even while other things kind of fall apart because there was no utility that was promised other than just enjoy the fucking art. Like that's really all we're asking you to do is like, do you like it? Cool, like let's go talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Let's see them seven of them together. Let's look at them on a three story screen. Let's, I don't know, send one into space or something. But you know, um, and, and really the people that, you know, we, we've never ever wanted anybody to get hurt, but we've, we've talked about who are the people that are gonna still be here in six months or eight months. The people that, you know, um, really are just sitting there still sharing their incredible galleries that they're building on gallery.so or DECA or on cyber. Those people are literally building these beautiful products and having these beautiful conversations. And um, I think that distinguishes us. I think that separates us from just the rest of the NFT space. And I'm just really proud of that. Uh, uh, and, and again, like the team has been very patient and um, uh, to, to share and, and also being willing to share that vision with me uh, has, is just really special. And, and I, I just feel very grateful that we're in that position. You, you, I, in my view, you should be, you should be incredibly proud of it. Um, you know, I think that, I think that what you're, creating i think that probably in some ways to your chagrin as you as you're saying during the the success you were having last year will will have you know really incredible importance and like you said you know you were the right person at the at the right moment um you know creating it but but you know you've did it you've done it in the right way and and you've and you've um you know you've resisted the opportunity maybe to uh you know to 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 put it on a rocket ship and said, no, no, we want to have something that's in incredibly, you know, long-term here, you know, for me coming from technology to working with LVMH, you know, I was amazed that they were serious when they told me they, they took a 100 year time horizon on their, on brands. And, and I'm, I'm thinking like, what are you talking about? I can't think past <laughs> six months, you know, but, but I, I think that I also learned the value of, of doing that and, and, and nurturing a brand for that. You know, one of the one of the trick questions I'd I'd written down, not not trick but rhetorical, um, you know, was is Artblocks a you know a, what is it? Is it a platform? Is it a community? Is it a gallery? And you know, I know that that's a an unanswerable question. So I'm curious though, what would you what would you like it to be? You know, how would you like history um, to to look at at Artblocks? Like you know, because that speaks a bit to ambition as well. Well, I, you know, what our blocks looks like in the future, I have a, a bunch of ideas and a bunch of exciting things that, you know, kind of we're, we're working towards, but, you know, understand that our blocks is already dramatically different than what I set out to do. I set out to make an open platform for anybody that could draw a square with code to host that on the blockchain. And, um, it was all about the democratization of art. It was all about inclusivity. Squiggles were $10 when they were released. Like it, it really was meant to be this like open art thing. And um, we achieved that for a little while, but ultimately we ended up getting such high caliber art that it started to feel like a disservice to some of that art to also allow someone to draw a rectangle on a screen. And a lot of that might've come from August and September in that massive kind of like uh, intense period in our in our space, just because a lot of time, you know, there was a lot of situations there where people might have 
decided to create an algorithm specifically because they saw a huge uh, opportunity to make money. And we're humans. I don't actually uh, like resent that. I just it's part of the mechanic of what came together. Uh, now, I think when we talk about a legacy for our blocks, there's a lot of different things. I mean, who knows what things are going to be like in the future? Ideally, you know, the art is permanent, right? Which means the legacy really depends on the legacy of the Ethereum uh, blockchain. And we really hope that that um, does, you know, stay permanent. Just, you know, I think for Ledger and our blocks, I think our, our, our interests are very aligned there and like the durability and the longevity of the blockchain in general. But um, if, you, if you just take a step aside and realize how many artists have in, in many, many cases been able to quit their jobs to dedicate themselves full-time to a type of art that previous to this did not have uh, this level of monetization, right? There is a world where artists train to be sculptors and painters and then you know they get out of school and they intern and then they start making paintings and they start selling their art and they can actually make a living off of art, although making a living off of art is very difficult to do just in general. It's like very few people can do that. Um, but digital art, you know, and we talk about art blocks elevating generative art, but it, it, I hope that we've played a part in elevating digital art as a whole, not just our weird little nerdy niche of art, which is entirely what I thought it was when I created art blocks, right? There was a few hundred participants in this space. Um, we've elevated digital art to where digital artists are maybe for the first time able to make a living off of and people were making a living off of art in 2018 and 19 probably nft art but it was different right like uh, art blocks super rare no origin a lot of these platforms have elevated this medium of digital art to the point where people can make money off of it and and and, and be able to make a living and so every time i get a message from an artist saying i just want to let you know i quit my job so i can pursue this full time that's the legacy that is literally like if art blocks for whatever reason doesn't exist in 10 15 20 years hopefully those artists were able to launch from that point to make what they want to do for a living, what they like to do, what they do for a living, which is make art. And then, you know, the, the beautiful cultural relics of the NFT space, which is the fact that NFTs enable platforms to provide secondary market royalties from a cultural perspective, because we often talk about that being baked into the NFT, but it's not because, you know, as much as I appreciate secondary market royalties, I even more appreciate decentralization. So I'm never going to create an NFT that prevents you from transferring it. And the only way to completely circumvent someone from selling NFT to somebody without paying a royalty is to prevent them from transferring it, right? So that would cross the line for me in terms of like decentralization and what the entire ethos of the, the blockchain you know, revolution is in general. But we have this cultural moment where artists are making secondary market royalties off their art, which doesn't force them to go and make new art, gives them a little bit more breathing room to enjoy and appreciate the relationship they're building with other artists, with the community, with the platforms. We have wonderful relationships with our artists. We are hiring people. Uh, we just hired an artistic director that's literally there to coach artists to have a career in art. A lot of these artists never thought that they could have a career in the arts, and now they're seeing that there's a chance that they could, and they're excited about it, but they need help. I need help. We all need help in this space. And so um, I think really that might be the most exciting part of this is like, you know, how many artists are able to pursue their passions? How many people that work at the Artblocks team that, you know, um, are, are just really excited about what we're doing, enabling artists to pursue their passions, enabling the blockchain to create provenance for art, whether you're in the engineering side or the artistic side, or you know, even like from an admin perspective, people that have been working in corporate their whole lives and seeing this new community, this new way that companies come together, I think it's just giving a nice breath uh, of fresh air to a lot of different people. And um, I, to me, that would be an indication of success is like there's a lot more happy people on this planet than there were before our blocks existed. And uh, uh, yeah, I couldn't be, you know, um, I couldn't ask for more. Well, you know, let's 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 wrap up. But we, I mean, we couldn't really wrap up without speaking about you as an artist. It's you know, you you referred to you know the creation of this and as as creation of art blocks is um, a platform to do what you were trying to do as an artist. And and you referenced Squiggles, but I, I get the feeling that you're not spending a ton of your personal time you know creating art these days, Eric. Um, you know, and and well, by the way, th thank you for what you've done on both fronts, but. You know what? Where do you see yourself? Um, you know, as a as an artist versus a creator of of art blocks. 
and where do you want to see yourself <laughs> over time? Do you see yourself, you know, you know, creating, creating more? Um, and you know, what, what, how, how do you deal with that as, you know, personal identity? Uh, you know, <laughs> I spent my whole life coming up with really ridiculous and crazy ideas. And, uh, I think it's really dangerous that one of my crazy ideas actually materialized and was validated because it gives me a lot more confidence in some of the stuff, not only the stuff that I've thought through in the past that I either didn't have the financial resources or just like the, the team resources to execute, but stuff that's kind of come into my mind since the launch of art blog. So you know, my career as an artist is really important and special to me. A year and a half ago, I would never have thought that I would be saying my career as an artist. Leslie Silverman introduced me at CES this year as an artist. That was the first time I was kind of publicly, formally introduced as an artist. It was just like mind blowing. I just remember the moment as if it was yesterday. Um, you know, I remember I've, I've been making kind of like artsy sculptural works for 10 years now. And I remember, you know, approaching galleries and being told this is an art, this is craft. This is, you know, hobby, but this is an art, you know, and that's okay. I, I'm fully aware that like, you know, uh, of, 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 of what it means to be in this gallery space and in the art world, I'm very serious about what potentially could happen as an artistic career for me, because uh, to me, what I want is I want to be able to express myself. And so the Chromie Squiggle allowed me to express a lot to a lot of people in a very meaningful way and I um, I have a lot more to say and a, and a lot more to do in this world and like this is giving me an opportunity to really hopefully make an impact not just in artists lives not just in our team's lives not just in collectors lives but just like hopefully as this world evolves and this, this space evolves maybe gives me a, a voice to make changes and positive changes in like the world as a whole so my my career as an artist will will be focused on that it will be focused on hopefully getting a, a bigger voice a bigger platform in this world to speak and um uh i have i'm actually working on a project finally uh for the first time uh i'm really excited about it hopefully i can get it done in time we'll see um i'm working on it with my wife you know she's an architect and uh, i'm working on something that's actually um has like an architectural quality to it so her and i are kind of like you know passing ideas back and forth so it's really been uh, special she's been so supportive for me in this whole time and like for her to actually get to interact on a, on her work is really special. And then as far as Arblox is concerned, you know, um, that is actually the, the, the biggest platform in terms of my voice and what I can make an impact in people's lives at this point. And I would like to continue, you know, nurturing that and developing that into something that can be um, as, as big as it can possibly be. And I, and I uh, you know, it, 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 if I can touch more people's lives with the technology, not just the technology, but the vision behind the technology um, that, you know, we've kind of, not just me anymore, now there's 30 plus of us and, and, and growing have come together to celebrate, then uh, I'll, be, I'll be very proud and happy. And so as we continue to evolve what Artblox does and what Artblox means, you know, as we get into, you know, the, the concepts of like, you know, generative manufacturing and, you know, on-demand immersive interactive experiences like in person and, um, you know, really find ways to interact with not just the crypto collector, not just the person that made a bunch of money on Bored Apes to be able to afford to buy some of these NFTs, which is obviously these are very important people and part of our career, not just the very wealthy traditional art world person that can kind of enter this space but you know the everyday person, um, uh, I would love to be able to like ser serve them and and provide technology that somehow benefits them and makes their life a little bit better as well. So we'll see where things go. But there's been a lot of validation in the last, like almost more validation than I know what to do with uh, in the last 15 months. Um, and again, I'm just I, I work with an incredible group of people, and uh, that group of people is incredibly motivating. And um, you know we work under a culture where, uh, you know, it, it just looks like it, it's going to be wonderful wherever we, we go from here. Well, and, and really, I, I want to underline that too. And thank you for what you do to the culture. You mentioned earlier the, the secondary and the royalties and the, and you mentioned the fact that really it is a bit of an honor system, right? If we're, if we're honest about it, but what we've done is we've created a culture, you know, and, uh, around it. Um, and I think that's, incredibly important to create a culture where you know where we we um we say yes this this type of of, of value to artists is important to us um as a culture because it it, it makes the whole scene more vib vibrant and i think you can point to many times at least in the scenes that that i've been a part of whether it's punk rock or skateboarding or whatever i think about how jake phelps at thrasher kept the entire world of skateboarding honest for 25 years 
right? Um, because if when if a clown came in, he shut them down hard, right? And I would say don't um, you know, don't uh, don't under um, you know, state the 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 value that that you know that you and Art Block blocks have here, even if it's just through leadership and influence, right? And um, you know, I, I really personally hope that you and that team, you know, continue to lead in, in the way that you are in a way that, you know, you, and I think you guys have proven, you know, that you have a, a very steady hand and that you're, you're going, you know, you're, you're sort of committed to something that's real and, and, and it's going to be long-term and it gives us all a lot of um, inspiration and also, you know, confidence to participate as a, as, as collectors and community members and, and discord members, et cetera. You know, just to close, you, you've, you've had some um, really thoughtful advice for people over the past week on on twitter uh you know in terms of what to do at this moment and and what not to do you know maybe before we leave what you know can you summarize what 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 it is you were telling to people in that tweet thread and and you know what what advice you'd have for other people who are are kind of wondering how they should be orienting themselves at at this particular moment in crypto history well, there, you know, it was two parts. One of them was uh, very much focused on security and the other one was very much focused on like, you know, investing and buying and like what what it, what feels right. And, you know, b- bottom line, uh, from a security perspective, it's, you know, we don't need our private keys. We just, we don't need our seed phrases, but very rarely, um, I, I, I was not exaggerating. Like I have only needed them a handful of times in five years in this space. Um, and you'll find that you need them even less if you get a hardware wallet. So I'm not trying to be an advertisement for you here, but I'm just like, it's just the reality is like, once you have a hardware wallet, you actually never need them again, right? Like if you have a new computer, you'll install a MetaMask on there, it'll generate some random wallet for you, but your important stuff is on something that you don't need to put a new seed phrase on, right? So um, from that perspective, you know, putting, you know, I, I, I actually got a little bit beat up from people by saying to put something in a safe deposit box. If you have very valuable, uh, NFT assets, maybe don't put them all in a safe deposit box with a seed phrase that doesn't have a 25th word or that the seed phrase is all in the same safe deposit box. But like, you know, once you get to a point of value in your NFTs, you should be more prudent about how you handle it. But for the person that, you know, and this was all triggered because like uh, multiple people in the same week told me they were fished out of their squiggle. And there's nothing like more crushing for me than like when someone gets fished out of a squiggle. Obviously, I hate to see people losing even bored apes, but uh, these are people that I, I gifted them to. And, you know, they were so excited to get them like just you know and and so didn't the 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 amount of you know pain that it must take for that person to reach out and be like hey by the way i'm just letting you know so you don't think i'm flipping it which is kind of fair too right because if i see it for sale i'd be like oh man i gifted you that but in reality it's because you were fished out of it which is really kind of a bummer and, and really sad um so you know the, the the people that have a squiggle or a couple doodles or a couple of random like nfts i think it's perfectly fine to put your seed phrase in a safe deposit box put you know that that wallet onto a ledger and and then just feel very confident and comfortable operating in the space with knowing that nobody can actually scam you out of your stuff unless you send it to them the other side of it is in like what to invest in and what to buy um i think you know it, if you look at this purely as an investment, you're you're you are play, you are you might as well go to Vegas, like or at least feel like you're in Vegas. And and there's nothing wrong with investments. There's nothing wrong with speculation, but like treat it as such. And when your speculation does not go in your favor, the only person that you should blame is yourself, unless you get rugged by an organization. That's something that happens in our space. It's really like disappointing, and it happens way too often. But on the contrary, if you buy something purely because you like it. Then, you know, I'll give you a, a, a perfect example. Um, one of my favorite works of art blocks of all time is this piece called Meridian by Matt Delorier. And um, I missed the mint. Uh, I was in a meeting, I was really upset about it. Uh, and then I watched the prices go from the mint price, which was five ETH, up and up and up. And I was like, okay, this is maybe gonna be a Fidenza and it's gonna be up over a hundred ETH, right? Uh, and so, at 22 ETH, I bought one. I bought it at 22 ETH because A, I knew I wouldn't be able to afford it at 100 ETH. And so yeah, there's a chance that it was gonna go back down, but there was also a chance that it was gonna go back up. So I bought it at a high price to hedge against it continuing to go up. But the fact that it went down as did everything else in this space was not impactful to me because what mattered is that I owned the artwork because I love the artwork and I wanted to own it. And 
I think a lot of people think that when we say these things, they're like, yeah, whatever, you know the true nature of the space. No, you make what you want of this space. The true nature of the space is actually your nature as a human being. So it, you cannot question whether I actually wanted to own that meridian for the sake of owning it or whether I wanted to own it for the sake of speculation. And the you know, 2,600 Artblocks NFTs in a secure vault that I have are probably indicative of the fact that I have no intention of selling it anytime soon, but that's sometimes not enough to make people understand that. I would love for people to just take a step back and like put themselves in the shoes of an imaginary person that is purchasing stuff because they want to participate in it. And yeah, investment is not out of the question. People do purchase art. Um, to not throw money away. But a lot of art in the traditional art world also loses its value, not because the artist did something wrong, but because there's nobody there to buy it in five years or 10 years. That artist's career may not have gone where it needed to go. That's part of buying art. But if you buy the art because you love the art, you actually don't have to worry about those things. So, you know, think about what you want to be sitting there worrying about. Do you want to be sitting there worrying about the floor on OpenSea? Or do you want to be sitting there worrying about someone coming out with a damn good enough screen to display the work so that you can live with it in your house in a way that doesn't feel like you're looking at a TV screen. I'd much rather be worried about that part. I'd much rather have the art, know that I own the art, know that whether it's this year or next year or in five years, there will be a device that's going to adequately display it. That is my biggest concern when I'm buying a piece of art and also potentially losing out on being able to buy it because the price goes up too high. And if you really are buying for that reason and to curate galleries and to put together really beautiful like uh, um, exhibitions of the art, then yeah, it hurts when the value goes down, but it's not, it doesn't hurt for the same reasons. It just hurts because, you know, and I've said this before, the only reason that it hurt that Meridian went down in value is because I could have owned four of them, right? Not because of the, like it literally is a matter maybe of pure selfish greed that is why I was upset with the value going down because I could have owned more of them for the amount of money that I spent, not because, oh man, I made some kind of like crypto speculative move and, you know. Opportunity cost, not absolute value. Absolutely. Okay, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So anyways, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I hope that people can just take a moment to absorb that. Eric, I'm right there with you. It's really, really a pleasure. Thank, thank you so much for giving us your time um, and, uh, and and really for for within everything else that you're doing and, and doing with the team, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us and talk to the audience about this. I, I, I really, you know, sincerely hope that, um, you know, this, this pushes more people down this uh, rabbit hole that, you know, I, I followed you into in, in some way. It's, um, you know, come on in, the water's fine. It's really, really nice. And like I said at the beginning, it, it you know, what you're talking about now reminds me, I have, you know, seven inches that I bought, seven inch records I bought when I was in high school that, that now have huge value on Discogs. I bought them because I liked the music. I didn't buy them because I thought someday they're going to have huge value on Discogs. Um, it's a nice, nice side effect, but um, being a part of the movement, being a part of the scene, um, enjoying the art, enjoying the culture was, was why I was there. And the fact that I'm almost 50 years old and, and get to feel that feeling still is um, I feel like the luckiest guy on the planet. And really, like to be able to to, to discuss these things with you, I, I only wish that, you know, we had six hours to do it. So maybe sometime, you know, we uh, we figured that one out, too. Um, but uh, but I'll take what I can get for now. So thank you so much for for your time and, and for being with us. Thank you, man. Thank you for your time and for everything that you guys do for the space. Um, it, you know, can't go unnoticed that people can actually live a, a more sane and comfortable and confident life if they just stick their stuff onto a damn hardware wallet. It just would make everybody's life, it would make my life easier too, right? So I'm I mean, here again, I'm being selfish. Like, stick your stuff on a hardware wallet. Like, just do it. Like, it just, it just, it's such a relief. It's a pain in the ass if you have a lot of stuff to transfer it and it costs you money, but just, do it man. and thank you all for everything that you're doing towards that goal it's really important i appreciate it we're all we're all in it together I, I can't wait you know 15 years from now to like look back on this moment and uh and and you know think about what we were creating i'm curious how many of these um you know things we're imagining in our heads are going to have come true by then we'll see all right man i'll see you soon thank you so much yeah thanks for the time that's it as expected a pretty inspiring conversation between snowfro and ian if you want to learn more about generative art and art blogs, be sure to check out Ledger Academy because we have a lot of content that's covering these fascinating topics. And if you haven't already subscribed to the show, 
please hit that subscribe button before you go to help us help you get more of this. This was On The Ledger from Paris with your host Moul Saeed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.